beginning of this new series. In Luke chapter 22, as we come to our text this morning, it's the night prior to Christ's crucifixion. And he's meeting with his disciples, and they're in an upper room. There's just Jesus and the disciples, and they're meeting to observe the annual Passover meal. And if you'll read the Gospels and put everything together, here's what you'll find. That during the course of observing the Passover, Jesus broke with Passover protocol, and he instituted that night what we now celebrate as New Testament Christians and what we call the Lord's Supper. The events of, of that evening were, were no, no doubt very precious. No doubt they were, uh, they were a time that was being enjoyed by Jesus and, and his closest followers. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, Jesus made a very unexpected announcement of Peter's impending fall. Let's pick up the story in verse 31. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, or Peter, Peter, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. That word sift means to shake then to separate. But I have prayed for thee, Jesus said, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he, that's Peter, said unto him, unto Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Go back to verse 31, if you would. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. With the Lord's help, I want to preach to you this morning under this theme, sifted but saved. Sifted but saved. There are a number of truths to be learned, a number of, of lessons to be learned here, beginning with this one this morning. Our greatest enemy, who we know is Satan, it's the greatest enemy that any believer has, our greatest enemy can be allowed. Jesus said that Satan desired to have Peter. That is, he desired to have access to his life. And this is not the first time that we read of a situation like this in the Scriptures. We read of it earlier in the Old Testament, in the book of Job. You don't have to turn there this morning, but in Job chapter 1, 
beginning in verse 6, we find this. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Which comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth, or that word means abstain from or stay away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. In other words, Satan said, well, yeah, look at his life. You've, you've pampered him. You've sheltered him. You've babied him. You've protected him. You've built this hedge about his home and his family and his life and, and all that he has. But then Satan puts forth this challenge. He says, put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath. And then Satan makes this prediction. And he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself, that's upon his life, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Later in Job chapter 2, we read of the same kind of interaction. Now, I'll be honest with you this morning. I don't know how all of this interaction takes place, but I believe the Bible this morning. And I believe that Satan has some kind of access to God by which he is able to communicate with him. Now, I don't think the fact that Satan can communicate with God is as important to understand as is the reason he communicates. And I would submit to you this morning that he communicates in order to get permission to come against us. Just as as Satan approached God seeking permission to come against Job, he had to approach him again. To come against Peter. And I believe this morning that he has to approach God in order to get permission to ever come against us as believers. Granted, Satan is powerful. Jesus called him the prince of the world in John chapter 16. Paul called him the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers and he holds them in in his snare according to 2 Timothy chapter 2. He can take life. We know that that he took uh, Job's children. Uh, He can ruin health as with Job himself. He can torment with demons. He can provoke to evil deeds. He can cause natural disasters. Listen to me this morning. Satan is real and he's powerful. But thank God he's not all-powerful. 
That designation only belongs to one person, and that's God himself. Before Satan can do anything against one of God's own, he must seek and receive his permission. But understand this this morning, church. Even with God's permission, there is his protection. You see, the devil can go no farther than what God permits him to do. Go back and read the story of of the life of Job. God permitted Satan to attack Job's livestock and his family and his property, even Job himself. But God said, I'm drawing the line here. You cannot take his life. The reality of all of this is that the devil has access to our lives, but only to the point to which our heavenly Father will allow. But what is his point? What is his desire? Well, I think Jesus teaches us what his desire is in coming against us. His desire is to destroy our faith. Jesus prayed for Peter's faith not to fail. And what is faith? It is believing the word of God and acting on it no matter how I feel because God promises a good result. Church, don't miss this this morning. If Satan can get us to start doubting the word of God and destroy our confidence in its promises, then he has successfully taken away our only defense against his attacks. I don't know if you studied the book of Genesis or not, the first three chapters. Here's what you'll learn when you do, that the way that the devil defeated Adam and Eve was he got them to doubt the word of God. And when they started doubting the word of God, they fell. And I'm telling you this morning that this book is our greatest weapon against the attacks and the attempts of the devil on our life. But when the devil has has, uh, 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 been successful in getting us to deny and to doubt the word of God, then he's taken away our greatest weapon. I mean, go to Matthew chapter 4 and read that this afternoon when you get home. And that's the exact same thing that he tried to do in the temptation of Christ. He tried to get him to doubt the word of God. Here's some practical application. Satan knows if he can get young people to doubt God's word when it comes to things like sexual purity... And he can get them to ignore God's promises to those who keep themselves pure. Then he can get them into compromising situations and rob them of one of the greatest gifts that they'll ever own. Satan knows if if he can get us to doubt God's love for us, then he can get us to become angry and bitter at God when adversity comes into our lives. If the devil can get church members to doubt God's promises to those who are faithful to tithe and give offerings to the Lord's work, then he knows that he will be able to greatly hinder the work of God. 
Listen, our enemy knows if he can get Christian men and women to doubt God's word about the home and about the family and the role that each one of them are to play in marriage, then they'll do what they think is best and marriages will be ruined and families will be destroyed. Do you, do you see, the, are you with me this morning? Do you understand why the word of God is so important? And why our faith and conviction about the Word of God is so incredibly important? Because it's our defense. And if the devil can get us to doubt what's in this book, then he can defeat us every time. And I could go on and on this morning with, with practical application. But just know this this morning, Satan has an agenda and it includes the destruction of our faith in the Word of God and in the God of the Word. And understand this this morning. None of us, listen, none of us, none of us are exempted. Not even the strongest Christians among us today. Now, you can agree or disagree with what I'm going to say here. But when Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death, I believe that he was sincere. I believe that he absolutely meant that. I believe that Peter loved the Lord with all of his heart. I'm convinced this morning that his deepest desire was to follow Jesus and to serve Jesus. And when he said what he said, he meant it. And yet, with all of his love and devotion and sincerity, Jesus looked him in the eye and predicted colossal failure. I don't know about you. That's an eye-opener to me. If Peter was vulnerable, then how much more so am I? There is not a Christian within the sound of my voice this morning who is beyond dishonoring or disgracing the Lord at any time. Though Peter was devoted, he was also deceived. Now again, I believe what I said, that Peter meant what he said. And while his words in response to his predicted denial of Christ, they speak volumes of his love and his devotion. At the same time, they cry out things like overconfident, proud, presumptuous may I submit something to you this morning that I think deserves some serious consideration I want you to think about this I think we see it in Peter's life Satan is more apt to strike at our perceived strength than he is at our known weaknesses. 
Look at it. Satan is more apt to strike at our perceived strengths than he is at our known weaknesses. Why? Because we're not as apt to guard what we seem what we perceive to be our strong points as much as we are those things that we know are our weaknesses. I mean, think about it. Peter was strong. He was courageous. He was outspoken. He was bold. All qualities that led him to say with all confidence, Lord, I'll not just live for you. I'm telling you right now, I'll die for you. If there was anything in Peter's mind that he did not have to worry about, it was his loyalty and devotion to the Lord. He was absolutely confident in these things, which is exactly where Satan came against him. Well, Pastor, I've never thought about that. I've always thought that he would come against my weaknesses. No, because we guard those so well. It's these areas that we think we've got it made, and that we don't, we will, we're never tempted here, and, and we don't have any issues here. It's those areas that Satan is going to come against us. What Peter perceived to be his greatest asset was actually his greatest liability. I think to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you read that at the beginning of that chapter, he reminds the Corinthians of the epic failures of their forefathers during that time in the Old Testament, that 40-year period when they wandered around in the wilderness. And he talks about their idolatry and their lust, and he lists these things, and he reminds them uh, of, the, of the past and what had happened in the past and the sins of the people of God in the past. And then he says this in verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. What was Paul saying? He's saying that a man's greatest weakness is his perceived strength in any area of his life. What Paul was saying was this, I know that you know about the Jews' failures of the past, and I know that you're confident that those things will never happen to you. But Paul said, be careful, because in those things which you think you are unconquerable, you are in fact most vulnerable. That's why Jesus prays for us. And that's the third truth to be gleaned from our text this morning, our closest friend, our greatest enemy is the devil. Our closest friend is Jesus. And our closest friend can be trusted. Now listen, I, again, I, I, don't, I don't fully comprehend how Jesus prays for me. But I fully accept it. And appreciate it. Jesus knew that his, that his prayer would be heard. He knew that it would be answered. 
because he speaks with confidence when he says, and when thou art converted. Not if you're converted. He said, when you're converted. I don't know about you. I'm glad Jesus prays for me. Another reason he can be trusted is because he cares for us. Most of us know where the story of Peter's life goes from this point. Jesus is arrested and and he's taken to the to the high priest house. And the Bible says that Peter follows them, but he keeps his distance. The, the Bible says he follows him afar off. He followed him afar off. And while Jesus was in the house of the high priest, Peter was outside in the court area there, and he was warming his hands. And on three different occasions, he was approached about being a follower of Jesus Christ, about being a disciple of Jesus the Nazarene. And every time, you know the story, every time Peter said, no, no, no. And the third time he denied Christ. Just like Jesus said would happen, the rooster crowed. The Bible says that Peter wept bitterly. One of the biggest issues that some may have with this, this whole scenario as it's described for us in the pages of God's Word and as it plays out in real life, is this. If Jesus prays for us, and he really cares for us, then why does he let us fall? And the easiest, the most simple answer that I have to that question this morning is that God has a purpose and a plan for everything that he does. He has a purpose and a plan for allowing Satan access to our lives. I believe that's very clear in, in his words to Peter when he said this, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. In other words, Jesus said, I've got a plan, I've got an agenda, I've got a purpose, and, and, and I'm not going to say exactly what it is other than this, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, and then you're going to hear the rooster crow, but when you're converted, strengthen thy brethren. I think from reading about Peter's life following this incident, at least two things came of this sifting and eventual denial of Christ. The first thing we glean from reading Peter's writings later in the New Testament, First and Second Peter, and I think one of the things that, that is very clear there and I think very evident is that Peter's pride was destroyed. Because in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, he writes this, Be clothed with humility. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And in the very next verse, he said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift or exalt you in due time. 
So I think one of the things that, that Jesus wanted Peter to understand, son, you're way too overconfident. You're way too proud. Let me help you with that. And he allowed this sifting time to destroy Peter's proud spirit. But I think a second thing came of Peter's denial was that he did strengthen his brethren. Following the denial, we read where Peter said, I'm, I'm going fishing. If you remember, that's, that's what Peter, well, that, that's, that's what he did for a living prior to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus came by one day and he saw him uh, by the sea and he said, I want to make you a fisher of men. And Peter started following him. And after his denial and after all of the remorse and the regret and the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment of denying Christ, Peter said, I'm just going to go back to fishing. And so he did, and some of the disciples followed him. And over in John chapter 21, there came a time when Peter and his buddies were out in the boat, and Jesus said, hey, you guys caught any fish? And, and the story goes on there, and they eventually realize that it's Jesus standing on the shore, and, and they go to meet him, and, and, and Peter is reunited with Jesus, and, and, and so were his fellow disciples. I think part of that had to do with Peter strengthening his brethren, but here's an even greater truth, and I mentioned the books of First and Second Peter a moment ago. Peter is still strengthening his brethren through his God-inspired letters, writings in First and Second Peter. You know what that tells me this morning, church? That no failure is final. It wasn't final in Peter's life. I mean, he, he with, without any hesitation, denied even knowing. At one point, the Bible says he even cursed. In his denial of Jesus. But one of the greatest lessons we learn from the life of Peter is that failure was not final for him. And listen to me today. It's not final for you either. Which brings us to this final thought. Our farthest fall can be recovered. When Jesus used the word converted in our text, Luke chapter 22, when thou art converted. Understand this this morning. He was in no way, shape, or form suggesting that Peter lost his salvation and that he had to be saved again. The word converted there speaks of uh, 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 the act of morally or spiritually coming again or turning again. And, and here's what Jesus was saying, Peter, after you've, after you've backslidden and after you've denied me and after you've come back to me and where you're supposed to be, then I want you to strengthen your brethren. Peter made a conscious decision of the will. To turn his heart again toward the Lord. And when he did, he was restored. The time of Peter's repentance and restoration can be found, as I said, in John chapter 21. But the proof, the proof of Peter's repentance 
and restoration, I believe, can be found in the book of Acts in chapter 1. When on the day of Pentecost, God filled Peter with the power of the Holy Ghost. And Peter stood and preached a powerful gospel message that led to the salvation of at least 3,000 people. So can I say it again today? No failure is final. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It's not over for you. I want to share this with you and we'll close. It comes from the book, Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life. And the author said this, The files of heaven are filled with stories of redeemed, refitted renegades and rebels. When God forgives, He forgets. He is not only willing but pleased to use any vessel just as long as it's clean today. It may be cracked or chipped. It may be worn or may have never been used before. You can count on this. The past ended one second ago. From this point onward, you can be clean, filled with the Spirit, and used in many different ways for His honor. And to that I say, Amen. So here we are. We're at the close. I mean, we're right on the verge of closing out 2017. As Brother Tyler alluded to a moment ago, for some of you, it's been a difficult year. You've been sifted. There's no doubt about it. You have felt the heat of the fiery trials. Your faith has been tested to the limits. Things that have come into your life this year have put to test everything that you have ever believed to be true about God. But you made it. You made it. By His good grace. You've seen His power. You've been brought through the fire. You were able to find joy in the midst of sorrow, peace in the storm, hope for tomorrow, as the choir sang. You found Him faithful, and you know He's able. And this morning, you can say, Amen. Others this morning feel like you're still being sifted and you're still being shaken around and you're still feeling the heat 
of the fiery trial. And your faith, even as I speak this morning, is still being tried. Can I just encourage you this morning to keep the faith? You can believe this book. You can trust this book. You can trust the God of this book. Keep the faith. Don't give up. Don't quit. And then there may be some here this morning that would say this, you know, Pastor, I've blown it this year. Spiritually, 2017 was an epic fail for me. I, I just have. I, I dropped the ball. I, 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 I've blown it. I, I, I've, I, I just can't imagine I would have never imagined me being where I am spiritually right now. But here I am. Well, here's the good news. A new year means you can begin again. Hey, God's grace means you can begin again. The book of Lamentations says that His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So here's what I encourage you to do today. Brother Tyler and our musicians come this morning. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. I'd encourage you to find yourself somewhere around this altar this morning. Making things right with God. Confessing your sins. And here's what I know. This isn't my word. This is God's word. 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the word of God. Would you pray with me today?